Amen. Amen. Come on in, guys. So I don't know if any of you can um, can ever think back to uh, the first day on a job, a, a new position that you fulfilled, and 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 what it was like to come into something where you were completely green, you know, and you didn't know uh, the culture of the place where you were were working. You weren't even all that familiar with what you would be doing. Um, you were excited about the fact that you were chosen. And I can remember uh, my first day on the job as a carpenter, you know, and um, it, I was an apprentice. I was young, you know, and I walked onto the job and I introduced myself to the foreman and he didn't even tell me his name. He just looked at me and said, can you read a tape? You know, and I said, are you, are you serious? And he said, yeah, I'm serious. I go, yeah, yeah, I can read a tape, you know, and, and I thought, all right, I'm already kind of doing good, but... <laughs> But what I, my big mistake is that I, I wore these like um, khaki type pants. They weren't like dress khakis, but they were just like a light fabric material, the kind that the legs kind of zip off into shorts, you know, those ones, you know. And, um, and, and so I, 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 I'm working and I go into the outhouse at break just to take a leak and the, the, both the button and the zipper broke at the same time. So, <laughs> so I'm like sitting in there like, what do I do now? You know, I don't really know what to do, you know? So I found like a piece of wrapper from an insulation bag and I made a belt and I just kind of like tied my pants up, you know? So I'm kind of trying to hide this and I'm going through. And then the guy, uh, you know, I'm doing all kinds of things that day, digging rocks and moving them all around. And then, and then the guy hands me a demo saw. And he goes, you know how to use this? I go, well, no, you know. And uh, he's like, here. And he gives me a big stack of rebar, uh, concrete reinforcement steel. And he gives me a demo saw. And he says, cut these in, in four-foot sections, you know. And so he shows me how the thing works. And, you know, you cut metal with a demo saw, shoot sparks, you know, the whole thing. So I, I, I begin cutting this thing with the demo saw, and I lit the pants on fire with the spark stream. <laughs> so, so I literally had a had a like a, my leg pant my pant like I'm smacking it out. So when I went home that day, I had a half of a pant leg, and my zipper pants were falling off, you know. And I, <laughs> I thought I am completely unequipped for what I'm doing right now. This has totally caught me off guard, you know. And and I think we all can kind of relate to coming into something, maybe even the, the, the thing that has become your career. Uh, you remember back to your first day and you realize that you had a lot to learn, you know. And, and so I think um, as you consider the early disciples and here are these guys, fishermen, um, a tax collector, you know, some people we don't really know their background and uh, you know, the, their whole life kind of in that culture and society, their ambition would be to be called by a rabbi. To, you know, if you were called by a rabbi, that was like being called up to the major leagues. You know, that was a big deal. That was their whole, their whole society. Their whole, every bit of influence revolved around the rabbis. You know, they were everything. And so to be called by a rabbi, you just went, you know. And so here you have these guys, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. We're told in Mark chapter 1, if you look at verse 16, it says that as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, that is the letter of a lifetime. I mean, you go out to the mailbox and you see that letterhead uh, and you get the acceptance letter. You know, we've received your resume and you start now. 
<laughs> you know, and these guys are there. This is the call of a lifetime. And it says that straightway they forsook their nets and they followed him. And then the same day it says that he went a little further and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and they went after him. And so these guys, cold, leave their business. I mean, there's no question that, that that's what they would do. You know, even James and uh, John, their father, you know, he had the hired servants. and Go, go, you go. You just, you don't look back, you go. And so now here's these guys, and they're following Jesus. This is the very beginning of his ministry. He has really not much of a reputation at this point, so they don't really exactly know what they're getting into. You know, they don't, there's no denominational tagline on this guy. There's no university credentials. I mean, they've been called by a rabbi and they respond. And now it's, as it were, it's their first day on the job as we get into verse 21. Um, and, and, and they don't know anything. They don't know Jesus. They don't know what he's going to do. They don't know what it's like. What's the life like? They know nothing. And now all of a sudden, they're going to follow Jesus the first day on the job. And, uh, and it's an, a remarkable thing to just put yourself in their shoes for a minute because, you know, we're disciples. In the same sense that he called them to follow him, he gives us that same call. That's why we're here, because Jesus has called us to follow him. So what do they see on that first day? And, and if we were them... You know, what is the impression that we would have of Jesus in his life, in his ministry, in his priorities, in his attitude, in the way that he conducts himself, his manner, as it were, and, and, and with the mindset for you and I that this is our future. He called us because he wants to make us clones of himself. He called us because one day he sees that we will be in the position that he is in. And so if we're going to become what we're seeing, what do we see that day? And what is the impression that it makes upon us? And so notice in verse 21, it says that they went into Capernaum. So they go into one of the villages that's around the Sea of Galilee, not far from where they were. And, uh, and it says that it was on the Sabbath day. So this is probably a new day. This isn't the day, the same day that he called them um, because they were all working. They wouldn't be working. They wouldn't have been in their boats mending their nets and, and fishing. And so uh, this could be the next day, you know, or a day or two after the fact. But here they now come into Capernaum and it's on the Sabbath day. And everything that happens in the rest of our study this morning, all the way up through uh, the end of verse 34, is this Sabbath day. So this is all the same day that they're going to um, experience all of these things. It says that he entered into the synagogue and he taught. And so the very first impression uh, that these guys would have of Jesus on this Sabbath day as they're following with him and walking with him is that they would notice that Jesus is extremely intentional about what he does. He's, and you can write that down if you're taking notes this morning, is that Jesus was very intentional about what he does. It says very forthrightly, 
that straightway, you see that word there in verse 21, and I don't know how it's translated in whatever uh, um, you know, translation you're, you're using, but the idea behind that is that he straightway or with intention or with purpose of heart uh, went forth to do this thing. And it means that he knew with a sense of purpose on that particular day what it was that he was supposed to be doing, and then he did it. And so he was intentional about the way that he did things. And, and the first thing that these disciples would notice about Jesus is that he was absolutely a self-starter and that he was motivated in what he was doing. He wasn't making it up as he went along. He didn't wake up that morning and, and, and just kind of think like, oh, guys, uh, what should we do today? Should we go to church or not? You know, you know but, but he was intentional about his act, actions. He knew what he was doing. He was a self-starter. He didn't have an overseer or a boss that was telling him what he should do. I mean, obviously, yes, he, the, he, the father, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, he did. You know, the father was, but, but in that very same sense, we all have that. We can all play that card, you know, but, but as, a, as a man on that day, he knew what he was supposed to do and he went forth and he did it. He didn't sleep in till noon uh, because it was the Sabbath. Uh, he didn't go on a Netflix binge, <laughs> you know, and then, and, then, and then after he was done, swing by Chipotle, you know, and, uh, and then flip through his Snapchat and Twitter feeds and social media accounts while he, uh, you know, figured out what he was going to do as the sun was setting, you know, that, that wasn't his way at all. But Jesus conducted himself, and they would see this in such a way that he knew the value of every minute, and he knew what he was supposed to be doing. There was a purpose and a sense of purpose in his life, and he wanted to spend every minute of his life in the best way possible. There was nothing to be wasted uh, in terms of the time that he had. Um, I, I think that this happens for you and I in different ways. You know, some of us, and I'm this way, is, is the way that I maintain a sense of purpose and intentionality about my, my life is that I, I love routine. Routine is very important to me. and That's the way that I'm wired. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with routine. Routine keeps me in check. You know, um, I, I hope that my routine is ordained of God, you know, that I can put it before God and, and the things that I know that I'm going to be doing on a Monday and then on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And, and you know, those things are all different for me because I don't have a, a job that's the same every day. I have different things I have to do on different days. But routine keeps me intentional. And when I don't have routine, I, I know that I fall apart. You know, I'm okay on vacation not having routine because, you know, that's what it's for. But even on vacation, there's a sense, you know, of order about what I'm going to be doing each day. And when I don't have that, I know it's not good for me. I'm quickly going to meander into the purposeless zone, you know, and time's just going to go by wasted. Other people, it's not routine, but they're planners. You know, they don't need routine. But they, they definitely very much need to plan, meaning that they, they, they order their lives or their days in, in a certain way or their schedule or their calendar a day, a week or a month out. And they know what they're going to be doing at certain times uh, and, and they schedule things, you know, and they do that for the sake of keeping intention about what they do. And I think that's just a, an important thing we see in the life of Jesus is that he was intentional about what he did. Um, Bob Dylan is quoted as saying that a man is a success if he gets up in the morning and gets to bed at night and in between he does what he wants to do. I disagree. 
I think I think that the, the the real quote is that a man is a success if he gets up in the morning and gets to bed at night and in between he does what he was made to do. You know, and that that is something that comes from God. And and one of the things that they would observe of Jesus right off the bat is that he was someone who was very much aware of what he was doing, he was intentional about it, and he was uh, committed to carrying it out. And I think that's something that these men would become. It's something that they would learn. And so I let it search me this morning <laughs> as I just consider that, is that what kind of intention do I have about the way that I, I, I carry about my life? Am I intentional in what I... What I do? Uh, do I put it before the Father? And am I certain that where I'm, where I'm at at certain points, that this is what he wants me to do, the way that he wants me to do it? Jesus was uh, intentional. Um, one of the things I like to do in my life from time to time is to identify the time wasters. And, and you guys know what those things are. We all uh, have things that creep into our lives that just become time wasters. Uh, not, not even necessarily bad things, but things that, that, that can become too much, you know, sports highlights and, uh, you, you know, or social media or whatever it is, identify the time wasters in your life and maybe ask God, God, are these robbing me of intention in my life? They would see the intention that Jesus had straightway entering into the synagogue and teaching, knowing what he was to do. And then it says in verse 22, it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So again, put yourself in the shoes of these disciples, these that are now following him, and they're, they're the they in this. They, they come in, and here's this rabbi, and they're watching. Okay, we're students of this rabbi. We, we have signed the contract to be, to be pupils in his school. So what are we going to hear when we come into the synagogue now and we hear him teach? And it says that when he taught, it says that he taught them as one that had authority. That's the word that it uses there. And the word literally means that, that he taught with liberty, that he taught with a sense of permission, and that he communicated in a spirit of power. So there was liberty in his teaching, meaning that he owned the text that he was working through. That there was a sense that, that, that if you would ever see like perhaps a samurai sword leaning up in the corner of a room and, and, and there sitting by itself, it's, a, it's just a samurai sword and you know what it is. And you might even be an expert on samurai swords. You could identify the brand and, uh, and, and some of the things that make it a quality sword. But when you see a swordsman come in and pick up that sword and he knows how to use it. And he begins doing things and, you know, and, and all of a sudden that sword takes on a life in the hand of the one that knows what it is and, and how it's to be used. There's an authority there. There's a liberty and a gracefulness in the way that it's being used. There's a freedom in it. And, and it says that Jesus taught with this kind of authority that when he picked up the word of God, there was a, a union that happened. It came to life in the two things, the man and the word were so uh, uh, one. There was such a communion between the two that there was an authority and there was an, a power. And the result of it is it says that they were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished means that they were struck with amazement. And get this, this is a Greek definition, as accurate as it can be, is that they were blown away. That's what it means. 
to be blown off their footing. That's what the word means. They were literally blown away and struck with amazement by the things that they heard. Now, there's a contrast in the verse as well. The contrast is that it was not as the scribes. Now, the scribes, they were essentially clerks. They were ones that would read a report and then orally dictate to those in the room the things that were written in the report. There was no authority. They were just simply repeating things that they had heard before, relaying a message that had been given to them, but there was no life in it at all. Now, catch this, guys. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says these profound words. It says that the word of God, the scripture, the Bible, the word of God is living and powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And that it pierces or divides, pierces even to the dividing asunder in half between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what God tells us about his word is that it has in itself the power to blow our minds, that the word of God has the power to strike us with amazement. It has the power to get inside of us in the deepest part and move things around. It lifts us off of the foundation of our lives and it does things in us that nothing else in the universe has the power to do. It has the ability to move us, to motivate us, to change us, to break us and build us beyond anything that could ever be invented by man. The greatest performance, the greatest film, the greatest emotional, uh, emotionally constructed uh, presentation. The word of God has this power. That's the testimony. And when the word of God was put into the hands of a teacher that had authority, that would be in this instance, the person of Jesus himself. They were astonished by what it was. They heard something and heard things that day that they had never heard before, even though they had been exposed to the sword every day of their lives previously. And here was the impact that Jesus wanted this to have upon those early disciples, is he wanted them to be exposed to the word of God being taught by someone who had authority. And that is very much something that a disciple of Jesus Christ is to experience and to be given to consistently. And in this day, this age of the internet, you and I have no excuse. Because we have access to literally every competent Bible teacher that's alive on the planet and even some that have already died. And if you can't find a Bible teacher that has authority in you, with you, that you can immerse yourself in that teaching and allow the word of God to get in, divide you up, break you down, build you up, and blow your mind, then that's on you. Not all of us receive the same way from the same people. I'll have conversations with people and I'll ask them what they listen to. What blows your mind? And they'll tell me the name of the teacher. And I'll be like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Because I'll fall asleep, you know, if I listen to that. 
Sometimes I say, well, this is what I listen to. This is what blows my mind. And other people say, well, it doesn't really so much do it for me. But there, is, there are people competent in the word of God that can be doing things in your life as you're hearing them un- unfold and unpack and apply the word of God. And a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is a student of the word and is astonished at its teaching. Jesus wanted them to experience this, and they were amazed by it. I think of the, um, I think of the Queen of Sheba. Remember, she came to Solomon, and she came with this impressive entourage. She was an impressive, educated, well-taught, well-versed, well-read person. And she came to Solomon thinking that she was going to trade jabs with him. You know, I heard you were wise, you know, and this woman already had a great deal of knowledge. But when she came to Solomon and she presented him with the things that were confusing to her, it says that after he answered her questions, she had no more spirit in her. That she was astonished and amazed at the wisdom of Solomon. And what I'm saying to you guys here this morning is I don't care how much Bible you know, how much you've been taught, there is teaching that will blow even your mind. Find it. Find it. And immerse yourself in it and be like the Queen of Sheba, be broken down. <laughs> I, I have never met. Yeah, I have never met a human being born without taste buds. I have met, I have met, I have met humans born without arms, without vision, without the ability to speak, maybe, but I have never, ever, it probably exists, but I have never met or heard of someone born without taste buds. And when a man is born again, He is given inherently from God an appetite. Maybe that appetite has never been awakened or awoken, whatever the word is, you know. But we have that appetite. Find it and feed it. They were astonished at his teaching. Verse 23, it says, And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Leave us alone, for what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. The third thing that the disciples would, would, would uh, observe and see and be impressed by on that first day on the job, not only Jesus being intentional, not only the astonishment of his teaching, but third now, the reaction he received the reaction that he received in carrying about his intention. Who he was and what he did on that day demanded attention and it unsettled the darkness. The man in the room who was unclean, the man in the room who was demon-possessed, as it were, or if you would, the target that Jesus was aiming at that day, the lost man that needed to be reached, was affected by Jesus' presence and Jesus' words. Meaning that Jesus was not benign in his presentation that day. He didn't just come in, go through the motions, and then leave and say, well, we probably sowed some seeds. But when he came in, there was such power in what he was doing that it hit its mark. Just what he did that day hit its mark, and there was a reaction in the kingdom of darkness. The guy stood up and he said, who are you? Now, this is the part of things where Jesus calls us salt and light. Remember? He said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. 
Salt is distinct and it brings out flavor. You know that it's present. I have a daughter, my oldest daughter, who is, I mean, I have toyed with the idea of buying her a salt lick and putting it in her room because she just goes through salt. I mean, sometimes I can't believe how much salt she can put on a meal, but she just absolutely loves salt. I have two other kids, my youngest two boys, Riley and Noah, and those are, they're light guys. They have flashlights everywhere. And, and there's just like this thing with them, who can have the brightest flashlight? And, and the way that they, they contest with one another is they try to annoy me. Because they'll just, they'll put the light and I'll just be like, cut it. Could you please stop, you know? And, and so these guys like light. And what, what, what my daughter knows, what my sons know, is that salt and light have an effect, <laughs> okay? And Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth and that we are the light of the world, meaning that when we, with intention, fulfill the calling that he has placed upon our life, it's going to have an effect. We don't have to work it. We just have to live it. And if we live it, the effect is going to be there. An amazing thing happens. People are drawn along because of we're doing what uh, we're called to be do. Listen, when we do what we're called to do, and it's anointed by the Spirit of God, things are going to happen. Just like that day in the synagogue. They didn't know this demon-possessed man was going to be there and that this, this whole encounter would, would happen, but it happened. And so I challenge us this morning, what is it that God has given you? What is your gift? What is your bent, your calling, your place? And how is it used? If you're here this morning and you have the gift of giving, let's say you're one who is generous and you like to share, what would happen if you, giver, set aside $50 a week in your budget? You can afford it. I know you can. You spend $50 a week on whatever, soda in the gas station or something. But if you, giver, set aside $50 a week and you said, this $50 is for me to just give away in, in chunks throughout the week. I'm going to give some to the clerk at the gas station who, who, you know, who takes the money. I, I'm going to just give this money away. I'm going to tip the person at the toll booth. I, I, you know, just anybody I can. I'm going to, I am going to give away. I have to give away $50 a week. Now, what that would do is, first of all, that would completely change your perspective about your daily interactions, wouldn't it? Because all of a sudden, the person behind the counter would go from a faceless servant that's just receiving and giving a receipt to a person who's like, hey, Lord, is this one that you would have me to bless with $9 of the 50 that I have? I'm paying a dollar for this pack of gum, but I'll give nine to the person and just say, hey, you're doing a great job today. All of a sudden, there's an attachment and a connection to that person that you never would have had. It's a proven fact scientifically that when we give, we are attaching ourselves to the person that we are giving to. And and so if if I'm a giver and I go about my week with that kind of intention in fulfilling what God has put in my heart to do, it's going to have an effect. Now that person might not break down and say, what must I do to be saved? But we live in a very small community, don't we? And don't we run into the same people pretty frequently? And doesn't God somehow put us in contact with the same person? And, and, but, but if we just were to do that with a smile on our face, you don't even have to say that you're a Christian or that it's in the name of Jesus, but you just generously do something that nobody else does. It's going to have an effect on people. 
If you're a person that has a gift of discernment and you just have this ability to read people, you walk in a room or you have an encounter and you just have that and people have that. God gives that to people. You just have that ability that you know things that are going on in that person's life or you know the type of person that they are, you can just, you, you're just there. You're wired that way. I'm not, that's my weakest, one of my weakest areas, you know. That's why God can use me, because the foolish things confound the wise, you know. But if that's you, what if you went into your week saying, you know what, I, when I see someone and when I see something in someone, I'm going to speak to it in some way. Why are you, why are you sad? Why do you have a, what, what, what's going on in your life right now? I see there's something there. And, and sometimes you even know, uh, you know, you know, you say you're having trouble in your marriage, aren't you? There's a relationship issue going on. And you just use what God gave you. Just use it and pry just a touch. And you will be amazed at the effect that you will have that you didn't intend or even look for. Jesus used what he was called to do that day. And there was an effect. Darkness stood to its feet. And said, oh, we see you there, Jesus, standing up in the midst. When you live with intention and do what he's given you, things are going to happen. Notice what happens next in verse 25 and 26. It says, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold your peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Notice number four, what these disciples would observe in Jesus that day is that Jesus was prepared for what came. Preparation. He was prepared for what came. See, it wasn't that all of a sudden a demonic man stood up and Jesus was like, oh no. I was hoping that I would just come in today and I would give my teaching and, you know, I would build a following and I would put my business cards on the back table <laughs> and tell everybody my web address and my Twitter handle, and I would, you know, network a little bit, and I would leave. I wasn't expecting that there was actually going to be a demon-possessed person in church today, and it would just be me and them and every eye seeing if I actually had power to do something with what I was displaying with just my words in my teaching. But it's amazing that Jesus knew exactly what to do in the moment and he handled it in the perfect way as soon as it came when he was met with the challenge. Now, for just a minute, I want you to subtract deity from the equation, all right? Because yes, Jesus was God. We understand that. But he was operating as an example. He doesn't call disciples saying that you can be like me and do what I do except for the fact that I'm God. <laughs> you know, you can't do any of the God stuff. No, 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 no. He's doing this as a demonstration of what they will one day do. And so subtract deity from the equation for just a minute, and you say, well, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus know that he was able to do this? How was it that he handled this situation confronted with that he wasn't expecting? Has that ever happened to you guys? You ever have something hit you in the day that you weren't expecting? Something, you know, I didn't plan for this. This wasn't in the script of the day, this big curveball that's coming my way, this, this project that's being dropped on me unexpectedly. You, you know, how do I handle this? Do you know why Jesus was able to do this? And, and again, subtract deity because deity has nothing to do with what's about to happen here. It has everything to do with preparation. You know why Jesus could handle this? 
Because just a few days before this, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he had been in a war with this little demon's boss. He was wrestling with Satan himself in the wilderness. As a hungry man, stripped of divine powers, being tempted in the hardest, fullest, richest possible way, and with nothing more than his sword and the equipment that was given to him there in the wilderness, he defeated the devil himself. And what that did is it enabled him in this moment to know exactly how to handle this little clown. <laughs> oh, little demon. Ooh. What have we to do with thee? Ooh. I eat you for breakfast, Jesus would say. And the reason this did not shake him, this did not move him, he didn't have to say, guys, let's get in a circle and pray. Would everybody be in here in prayer right now for what's about? He did, just one minute. Boom. I know, I know who you are. Jesus said to him, hey, sit down. Hold your peace and come out of him. And, and the unclean spirit cried with a loud voice and came out. There was no contest here. What's the point? The point is this. Listen, guys. The battles, the struggles, even the defeats, all of the things that we go through, the pressures that we face, our preparation for the battles that we're going to win tomorrow. See, Jesus won this little battle because he had already won the war previously. And the struggles and the difficulties that we face in the daily of our lives are teaching us and equipping us to handle the lesser things that we're going to go through later. And so the preparation process is so important. The feeling of the pressures and all. An amazing thing. Um, I, 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 uh, um, I was counseling with a guy over the last couple of weeks who's in a real rough situation. Um, and he's new in the faith and he's messed up his life and he's going through like just absolute crazy. And uh, some of the things, and, and I know that it's God that has brought this, this younger man um, to talk to me because some of the things that he, he's going through and the things that he's feeling and the struggles that he's going through are things that I have faced and struggled, you know. And, uh, you know, and so I've shared with him a couple of things that, that I've been through in my past and, you know, the way that I got through it and, you know, you know and, and all, I don't want to get into it because it'll take too much time. But I went home to my wife after one of these uh, days talking to this guy and I, and I told her, you know, what he said and I told her what I said. And then I just looked at her and I said, you know, I said, you know what, what gets me in this whole thing is I said the, the amazingly high price I had to pay in order to say that one sentence to him. It cost me a lot to be able to just say that one sentence to him that maybe was helpful. I had to really wrestle. I had to really fight through some very difficult things in the past in order to just give one word of hope to someone else. But what, it, what, what, it, what this does is it makes me understand that those battles and struggles that I fight with God, God, why are you doing this in my life? Why do I have to go through this? Those struggles and battles are equipping me for when the future it comes that someone else needs the strength that I gained in winning that battle. He was prepared. Number five. Verse 27, 
It says, and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commands he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad through all the region round about Galilee. The fifth thing that they would be struck by is amazement. Not this time at his teaching, but at the effect that his life was having. The entire experience that they had had that day in church produced a response and an inquiry in all that were there, and it caused the word to spread concerning Jesus and his message. And all of this was the intent behind the whole thing. Now, all that to say is that God wants our lives. We're his pupils. We're the disciples. We're the apprentice. God wants our lives to create a reaction and an inquiry. And it happens when there's intention, uh, when we give ourselves to teaching, when there's preparation in what we do, and when there's action. Now, watch this just as we wind down the package, uh, passage. Uh, in verse 29, I want you to see this. This is the same day. So they leave church. And that afternoon, it says that forthwith or right away, when they were come out of the synagogue, so they leave church, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon Peter's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, laid sick with a fever, and quickly they told Jesus about her. And it says that he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. So they, they leave church and that afternoon, now they're going to come back. They go to Peter's house and as they go to Peter's house, they're met with another challenge. Peter's wife's mother is sick. Now, it would have been very easy and probably very typical had Jesus at this point said, okay, guys, we had a real great day of ministry today, didn't we? We had a great teaching we cast out some demons. Fame is going out. I mean, exponential growth. Wait till you see how many people come to church next week. Let's just wind down, have a few beers. Let's put on NFL Sunday ticket, you know. Let's see who's going to win if, you know, if, if the Chiefs are going to stay undefeated. You know, who's going to win? You know, the, and, and, and let's just wind down for a bit. It is the Sabbath after all, and we'll just kick up our feet. But not Jesus. See, Jesus walks into the situation. He walks now into the house. It's after church. And he's still on, as it were. He says there's a need even here. He doesn't rest in the fact that he already did something that day. But he sees that there's someone who needs to be healed. And he goes through and he deals with that healing. He was ready. Now, this challenges me. Because, you know, we all, and, and I'm part of we all, you know, have things that we're really good at and that we like to do. And then we have maybe some things that we're not so good at and maybe some things that we don't like to do. You know, uh, I said to you earlier that, you know, one of my strong things is not that whole discerning reading people type of thing. You know, you know, people, the people aspect of life is, is difficult for me. It, that doesn't come easy. Uh, by the Bible, preaching, teaching, this is like hobby. I, I could do this. This is easy. If it was all just preaching, teaching, you know, it would be real easy for me. But people isn't easy for me. And so what that means for me, okay, is that 
I have to intentionally build structure into my life to do the people thing because it doesn't necessarily come easy for me, but I don't have the right to say, well, I'll do the things that I like, but I'm going to check out on the things that I don't like. And I understand the importance of the relational aspect of, of life and ministry, and I appreciate it. It just doesn't come easy to me. And so what that means is that I have to build structure into my life because I value the task. There's value in the task. So for me, what that means is that on a Sunday morning, I know that I'm probably going to greet, shake hands with, and interact in some way with a thousand people. And I don't find, I don't find anything easy in that. Okay, so, so that means I have to mentally prepare myself and I have to say, okay, I'm going to be in a hallway and I'm going to see all these people's faces and, and I have something to give to them and I have something to receive from them just by way of interaction. And so I am mentally prepared to go into the situation and interact with as many people as I can meaningfully and intentionally. And if I get overwhelmed, I'll duck out for a minute <sighs> and then go back in with the intention that I'm going to, I have a room full of people here, you know, or a church full of people and, and, and I've got something, there's an interaction. I might not need them, but they might need me. And so I'm building structure. I'm making a plan of how I'm going to go about this because it doesn't come naturally for me. It's not easy. And, and the challenge for you and I is to realize that in him, we're always on. We don't just get to do the things that we like to do, but sometimes we do the things that we know we should do and have to do because we see the value in it. And it means that we have to be prepared for it and build structure in it. Jesus challenges me here because he was always on. He went from casting out a demon to healing a wife of Peter's mother-in-law, or, you know, you get the idea, Peter's mother-in-law. He goes to healing her. He's on all the time, even after church. And I think it's an important example for you and I that we're never off in the Lord. Notice verse 32. It says that at evening now, so same day, it's, not, it's still the Sabbath, when the sun did set, they brought to him all that were diseased and that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick with diverse diseases, that he cast out many devils, and he allowed not the devils to speak because they knew him. This is number, uh, the next thing. Um, not only was Jesus still on after church, this is number seven, and that is that Jesus was just a machine. <laughs> right? I mean, he goes out, he has dinner at, at Peter's house, and now he opens the door and the whole city is gathered out there and they have an evening service. And Jesus just begins to heal, to cast out demons, and to be what he was there. Now, I imagine that the disciples at the end of this day, you know, and how long did they stay there? How long did it take? You know, what time was it when they finally settled in for the night? Where did they settle in for the night? And all these guys that followed Jesus for this entire day, they, they sit around and they watch Jesus and he's just sitting there. He's probably glowing, you know, and they're just thinking like, who is this guy? He's a machine. Did you guys catch that this is the Sabbath? Yeah. Did you catch it? All of it on the Sabbath. This is the rest day. Yeah. Right? You don't work on the Sabbath. 
And, and I'm sure these guys are wrestling with this. Like, how did he do this? And it wasn't even a violation of his own law. That this was rest. He did all this, and oh, this is rest day. <laughs> Wait till tomorrow, guys. The work week starts on, on, on Sunday. You know, this is, this is nothing, you know, the whole thing. And they're wondering, how in the world did Jesus do this? Where does it come from? The answer is in the next verse. And we close with it. Verse 35. It says that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and he departed into a solitary place and there prayed. That was the secret. How was Jesus so intentional about what he was supposed to do in that day? How was Jesus equipped to bring amazement and astonishment to those who just saw what he did and were in his presence? How did Jesus elicit a reaction just by being who he was? How did Jesus have the preparation to be ready for the curveball that came that he wasn't expecting? How was Jesus able to be on even after a full day? How was Jesus a machine? How? You know how? He started his day in the presence of the Father, seeking direction, inspiration, filling, leading. You say, man, I would have loved to be a fly on a tree in that solitary place just to observe what was that like, that interaction between Jesus and his father early in the morning. Oh, I'm so glad because you know what? Isaiah was a fly on that tree. Turn to Isaiah 50 real quick. You want to know what happened between Jesus and the father on that morning? that happened between Jesus and the Father every morning, that's supposed to happen between you and I and the Father morning by morning, <laughs> what can happen between us and the Father morning by morning. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 50, it'll become real clear in a minute that this is Jesus who is the me. He's the one speaking. This is the Son. It says that the Lord God that's the Father, has given me, that's the Son, that's Jesus, the tongue of the learned, that means the ability to speak, the ability to say the right thing at the right time, the ability to know what to say. He's given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season at the right time to him that is weary. How? He wakens, he wakens me, by implication, morning by morning, he wakens my ear to hear as the learned. In other words, part of what Jesus was doing in the morning is that he was quieting himself before the day began, before the Father, to hear instruction from him so that he would know what to do and how to do it throughout that day and be equipped for everything that would come his way. It says, he gave me the tongue of the learned because my ear was open to him. And then watch verse five. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now, what does that mean? He's saying, listen, the Lord opened my ear and the reason that my ear was opened 
is because I wasn't rebellious and I didn't turn my back on him. Meaning, listen, this is important, is that Jesus' attitude when he went into the solitary place was that I am going to do the Father's will today. I'm not going to live in rebellion and justify sin. I'm not going to walk towards him backwards. You guys ever have that happen? Our kids do that to us, right? Like we stand and we say to our kids, walk this way. This is how you live. This is the way you do your school. You know, this is the way you do your chores. And they go like this. They go. And they're looking at every other way they want to be doing things. And they're reluctantly. Sometimes we do that to the Lord. Yeah, Lord, I'll walk the narrow path. I wish I was walking that path. I want to be over there, you know. But no, no, no. Jesus said I didn't turn my back, meaning that he was set on doing the Lord's will. And then notice verse 6. It says, Isaiah 50, he says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. To set your face like a flint. Do you know what a flint is? That's right. It lights a match. How? When? When you strike it. So if your face is the flint, (laughs) and you want to start a fire, what has to happen to your face? You know, your face has to be stricken. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in that morning hour, I'm surrendering my life to such a degree that God, should it be that my face is stricken? Should it be that my beard is plucked out? Should it be that I'm spit upon? I am so set on fulfilling your purpose and your will in this day that none of those things will deter me from your purpose. Now, if you put all of this together, this, this little passage in Isaiah chapter 50, essentially what it says to us, Jesus is saying in, in this passage, Isaiah 50, Jesus is saying this. Listen, guys, he's given me the tongue because I have the ear. He's given me the tongue of the learned because I have the ear of the learned. He's given me the ear because I have the heart. I'm going to obey. I want to obey. And he's given me his help because I've given him my life. He's given me the tongue because I have the ear. He's given me the ear because I have the heart. And he's given me his help because I've given him my life. That's what happened in the morning with Jesus. And that was what resulted in everything else that happened throughout that day. That was the example and the first impression that the disciples had when they followed Jesus. He's a man of intention, of authority, preparedness. He brings results. He's always on. He's unstoppable. And he does it all in his rest. He's resting. It's the same thing that God wants for you and I. Now, if we put ourselves in the shoes of those disciples and we compare what it is that we're to become with where we are right now, 
what are we? And what area of our life might God bring to mind and say, hmm, adjustment need to be made? 